How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Josh, do you mind helping me out? (laughs) Unfortunately, we have some furniture to rearrange. Um. (laughs) Try it again. That worship pastor position is getting further and further away. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. Um, I want to talk at first about a couple of the elephants that are going to be in the room today. Because there's a few. Um, One, there's going to be a lot of slides. Uh, You'll notice that There's going to be a slide for just about everything that I say today. And that's a little bit cumbersome for some people to deal with. But at the same time, for people who audibly don't take in information, it's really helpful. So I ask that you bear with us for that. The second thing is my hands are going to be moving. That sometimes is the most annoying thing ever, or it becomes really helpful to other people. Um, And also, the furniture has to be small. Partly because I'm small this way and not small this way. Um, (laughs) The other reason is I need it visually uh, able to be able to access information and I look strange with just my head poking above a podium. So um, the other is I'm so thankful for your pastors and I won't tell you who, but I was encouraged today since it was Valentine's Day to preach in something that befitted a diaper holding a bow and arrow. Um, I thank God that I didn't listen to that pastoral counseling and advice. Um, That would have been awkward, more awkward than it already is. Um, And then a couple of house rules. I don't know about you guys, but at my house we have house rules and public rules. House rule. You can walk around in your underwear. Tends to be okay. Walking around in your underwear at Walmart, not okay, right? We're on the same page here. I'm awkwardly uncomfortable that we're not all on the same page with that. Okay, Um, we recently did potty training. It's been a few years, but we had the rule that if you're at home uh, and you really need to go as a youngster, that you could begin to unzip and go on the way to help things along and lessen our laundry demands. Not okay at church, right? If someone runs out and begins to... No, not happening at church. So we understand the difference between house rules and public rules. So I'm going to share a few rules with you guys this morning related to deaf people. House rules. For here at HBC this morning, it's okay to stare. It's okay for you to look at us when we talk. I know that's a little uncomfortable out there, but if you go to Walmart or you go out to eat at a Mexican restaurant after this and you see deaf people, it's not okay to stare. But here today, we have a beautiful picture of two cultures 
colliding. And they're here because they want you involved in their culture. They want you to see it's all right to stare today. Um, it's also okay to ask questions. Afterwards, if you want to chat with the deaf people from Gospel Community Church, I encourage you, talk to these people. They are beautiful communicators. I honestly get put up on the stage because I can communicate in two languages. They're some of the better communicators over there. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray, and then we will just jump right in and set the novelty aside and look to God's Word. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are wonderful, and you are amazing, and you have brought two cultures here together today. Today is a, a, a little peek, a little glimpse into what heaven may look like one day, where there are people from different languages and different groups and different backgrounds and different experiences worshiping the one true God. So today, I pray that we set the novelty of this aside. I, I pray that this not be a show. I pray that this not be about deafness or, or the ability to hear, but this be about Christ and his work, and his work in marriage, his work through his word, his work through his son that he sent to die for sinners. I pray that today that you would give me clarity, that you would help me to preach your word well, and that Danny Hinton's words would be forgotten, but your words would pierce the heart today. I pray and ask that you would be lifted up high, that GCC wouldn't be elevated, but that we would be humbly submissive to your call and your commission and your goals today. And I thank you so much for the sister church that you've sent to come alongside us. I thank you so much for the work that you've done here. I ask that you would provide comfort for the lawless family and for the lost and the broken hearts that we have today, but reassure us knowing that Gary today is in the presence of his maker. I thank you so much for the work that you're doing here for 40 plus years. May it continue 40 plus more. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. It was 1983, 4. I was around seven years old, and we lived in a small house in Lewisport, Kentucky, which is about 30 minutes from here in Hancock County. And my, my family was relatively poor growing up, and I'd never been to a movie, like a real movie, like go in and buy a popcorn movie. And finally, my mom had saved up enough money that she was going to take us and drive us to the big city of Owensboro, Kentucky, and we were going to get to watch a movie. Um, and I went in, and as we went in, we noticed that there was something on the sign that said 3D. And that apparently was something really new at that time. And so at that time, you had to go in and purchase the little red and blue glasses that you wore to see a 3D movie. So my mom had spent, I think, a dollar, maybe two dollars on these glasses. And as we walked in, my brother drops his. And I'm sticking to that story still, 35 years later. He dropped. And as he continued to walk, he swiped my glasses. And I yelled, because that's what you do when you're seven and somebody steals your glasses. Mom, he took my glasses. Sorry. And we went on in. And we sat down for the movie, and my mom's decision to fix that problem was, you wear them for half the movie, then you wear them for half the movie. What a terrible plan that was looking back. But at that time, I had no idea. My brother, being the younger one, and he always got what he wanted, so 
she gave him the glasses. And the movie starts. Now, mind you, I'd never seen a movie on the big screen before. And when the movie comes up, I'm thinking, I don't get it. I don't understand the big reason that people spend all of their money to go to these kind of movies. It's just a jumbled mess on the screen. It's, it's red and it's blue and it's out of focus and it didn't make any sense. And so I began to watch and I'd squint my eyes and I'd cross my eyes and I'd stare a little longer. And every once in a while, the images would just enough to make sense out of somebody being on the screen. And then the halfway mark or what my mom deemed was the halfway mark. I thought it was much earlier. The halfway mark showed up, and mom handed me the glasses. Now, the movie was a cheap 1980s super techno. Some guy lived in a computer. It was like Tron, but worse. It was a bad movie, but as the glasses went on, I was shocked. My eyes just fell open. My mouth fell open. Things became alive, and they were coming off of the screen. People would shoot, and the bullets would fly past my head. I was in awe. I loved it. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And I, I was asked to preach about marriage today, and I, I thought about that day. And I wonder if us as Christians, when we, when we look at marriage, not through the correct lenses, but when we look at marriage, I'm afraid that sometimes we just see the blur. That we just see red and blue and disjointed and, and no purpose and, and who's in control of this thing. I'm afraid that we're like me sitting in that theater and I don't see the intended purpose. And so today my hope is to take the lenses of scripture and drop them over our eyes and that we would just be jaw dropped in awe of what marriage truly is. That we would see marriage for its intended purpose and we would see who has dominion over marriage and we would just sit there and enjoy what marriage was made for. And I should have opened my notes a long time ago. So what's the blur? What is it that we're sold that marriage is all about? I'd have to say it's compatibility. It's preached in Western culture. It's taught. If we just find someone who matches me, then we're not going to have any problems. If I could just find someone who satisfies my felt needs, then my marriage is going to be smooth. My marriage will succeed if I can find someone who thinks like me and acts like me and does the things that I need to do. There's a problem with that. We're sinners. We're sinners who honestly half the time don't know what we need. And we don't know what we want. But when we look onto the internet, today we see eHarmony, Match.com, Christian Mingle, Zeusk, Farmers Only, Adult Friend Finder. And the whole premise of, of these things is we have 2.2 million people and they're all single. You don't have to work like you did back in my day. You don't have to look. They're single. This takes all the, the question out of it. And we're going to put you through a series of compatibility tests and personality tests. And we're going to find that person that just perfectly matches what you need for a perfect marriage. Christian Mingle promises a successful marriage based on denominational compatibility. 
Farmers only promises you that your marriage will be smooth based upon your let me, <clears throat> country compatibility. <laughs> I apologize to my deaf people that didn't pick up the country accent. And in this picture, if you look at the bottom, the little GF, anybody have an idea? Have, have you seen that one? Gluten-free singles. <laughs> Promise, I'm not kidding. I would suggest that you look it up today, but their promise, their, their claim to fame is that your marriage is going to be blissful and wonderful and smooth and you'll have no problems because you're allergy compatible. You'll never argue about what cereal to buy, right? Bookstores are no different. You go in bookstores and, and you see book after book after book of, is our love style compatible? Is our zodiac sign compatible? Were we born in the same month? Are we compatible based on our political party? And we look at those things and we kind of chuckle inside, right? Us biblical, knowledgeable, Christian people. And we go, eh, silly pagans. They don't know what they're doing. And then we go into Lifeway Christian Bookstore and we see, honestly, some of the same things, don't we? Learn to speak your wife's love language. 31 steps to a, a better marriage. Laugh your way to a better marriage. And I'm not saying that improving your marriage is a bad thing. I'm not saying that speaking your wife's love language is, is a bad thing. It's not. But brothers and sisters, we can do love dares and programs all day long but until we see marriage through the 3D lens of God's infallible, inerrant word, everything will always be fuzzy. We will be left squinting at marriage and missing the jaw-dropping purpose of marriage. Today, I want marriage. I want to look at marriage. Stop that. I want to look at God's word and I want to see what it says. Does God's word speak about marriage? Does it talk about marriage? Does it give us a definition or any purposes? Because if it does, then as Christians, we're left with what? Yes and amen. That's all we're left with if it does. In a totally unplanned coincidence, today after an intro about 3D movies, I want to talk about three points. And they're all going to start with, come on. Oh, okay. Hey, you're with me. D. I want to look at the domain of marriage. What is God's role in marriage? Does God have a plan? And secondly, if God's domain is marriage, then what is the purpose? What is the reason for marriage? So if we look at domain, let's just jump into point one. And I want to camp out of here for a while. I want to look at domain for a while because honestly, that's the crux. That's the most important thing. We have to see marriage as God's. How do we define domain? It's ownership or being controlled by. It's being ruled by or governed by its maker. So let's just make this really simple. Let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Marriage belongs to God. Marriage was created by God. It is the domain of God. 
And frankly, we don't get to define marriage. If we try to redefine marriage, we are being anti-gospel. It was designed by God, and he will do with it however he pleases. That is a concept for us that is totally foreign. The media is full of discussions of how we redefine marriage. Society wants to redefine marriage. Christians are attempting to redefine marriage. And the truth is, we can't redefine marriage. It's already been defined. It's already been established. It's already been ordained by its creator. When we speak of marriage, we're talking about his wheelhouse. Your definition of marriage doesn't get to be decided based upon your deep desire or love for another person, despite their gender. Our definition for marriage doesn't get to be decided or tweaked or or changed based upon what we feel marriage should be. It's not love that defines marriage. It's not man that defines marriage. It is the infinite, infallible, omniscient God. Follow me this, on this, because I hear this all the time. Wait a minute. That, that, that idea of marriage that you have is old. It's archaic. It needs to change with time. I'm going to go off notes. Warning. Danger. Danger. As, as people who believe God's word. Is it not blatantly obvious for us that God does not operate in time and in space? That if the definition of marriage needed to be changed, then God would have done it from the beginning because he's not bound by time. That the definition of marriage in the Bible is the most comprehensive, perfect definition it could be because it's created by someone who's operating outside of sin, operating outside of the world, operating outside of what we think is felt needs. It is exactly what we need for all ages because it was created by an eternal God. I've just thrown a ton of just dogmatic rules at us. And, and, and all of that sounds good and it sounds Christian and that's great. But if we don't back any of that up with Scripture, we've missed. And so I want to look at God's Word. I want to look at five specific arguments for marriage being God's domain. One, God designed the parts. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says, And then God said, Let us, there's plural Trinitarian language, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock over all the earth, on every creeping thing that's on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God didn't just make marriage. He made the 
precursor things required to make marriage. Does that make sense? That God's not just operating with parts that he bought. He's not buying outsourced people and bringing them together and do something with them. He makes man totally different than he made anything else in the universe. And he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils and man becomes a living soul. And then the first surgery, woman is created. So God is making the parts. I don't know any more clear of an explanation that God has dominion over it than he made it. And he made the parts. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm still a seminary student. When my professor says something once, I take note. When he says it twice, I write it down. When he says it three times, it's on the test. That, that, that's the way I follow. And in that last verse, when we're looking at it, it is just screaming, pay attention. So God made man in his own image. Did you miss it? In the image of God, he created them. Did you miss it? Male and female, he created them. Mine. He's screaming, mine. You don't get that. Mine. Those who know me well, you know that I used to teach and work as a dive master for a scuba diving shop here locally. And in the summers, I would take off. I would work all year and save up what little money we could get together, and I would go work a trip to somewhere beautiful in the Caribbean. And one of the first trips I ever went on was to Grand Cayman, <clears throat> beautiful island. And we were on a little small boat, and there was people from all over the world that would go there because the diving is beautiful. And there was a man that was a Rolex dealer that was on the boat. I've never owned a Rolex. But another guy had a Rolex, a very expensive Rolex, a yacht master. And something had happened on dive number one, and he had chipped the bezel, the spinning part, on top of the watch. And he got back on the boat, and the guy smoking his cigar, the dealer, said, oh, let me look at that. And he goes, no, 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 no. I have to take it to my guy. And he's like, no, I'm a Rolex dealer. And I'm listening to this, what I think is very arrogant speech about him and his Rolex. And the guy begins to just go on and on about Rolex and Rolex and Rolex. And I'm rocking my Casio, Casio, Casio. Um, he goes on and on with this, this watch story and he tells him, did you know Rolex makes all their own parts? Like all the hands and the bezel and the little cogs inside and the, the bands. And he said, I'll even go you one further. I know that Rolex developed their own metal to make their own watches from. They don't even outsource metal. They developed this Rolisium, Rolisium, a combination of 904L stainless super alloy and 950 platinum. The point was the guy wasn't making a mistake to say that he has domain. He has full right to do with that watch whatever he pleases because he's intimately involved to the point of down to the last cog of that watch. They even make the substance from which that the watch is made from. And that's what God is telling us today. I made the dirt that I formed together and then breathed the air into the nostrils that made you and then joined you two together. I think I have some domain in this. Number two... God decrees that man's solitude is bad. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. 
I will make a helper fit for him. It's not man saying, hey, lonely down here. We'll help. It's not, it's not man's felt need that caused God to act. Let's let that simmer for a minute. It wasn't Adam's desire to be happy that caused God to act. God sovereignly decreed that's not good. So number three, God acted and designed a helper. Genesis 2, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And that rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Woman didn't yet exist. This is before the fall. And as I prepared this week, as I sometimes do when I read something, it seems like, oh, I've just read that over and over. I know that since vacation Bible school when I was four. I get it. I just stop and I push back from the desk and I just try to picture this. Adam's alone. I've been alone. And I know what my house looks like when I get alone. Can you imagine what the Garden of Eden looked like? No women ever at all. <laughs> Honestly, like I can imagine like fig leaves just all over the floor. I can imagine like the rivers like full of dirty dishes and, and Adam eating like whatever equivalent like is equal to like ramen noodles and cold pizza. Unshaven and just sitting there. And God looks at that and he says, I'm going to solve this solitude and it's my idea. You see, God made the parts. God notices the, the solitude and God acts. He makes Eve unlike any other. If that's not screaming for a complementarian relationship, I don't know what is. That God made man and he did it in a specific way. And then he made woman. And he didn't do it the same way. But he did it special. And he put them together. Number four, God teaches Adam of his helper. Genesis chapter 2 verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to see what the man would call them. Skip down to verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God honestly parades the animals in front of Adam. As if to say, not that. No, not the horse. Mm -mm. Not that. That's not your helper. Name it. Use it. Not that. And then in verse 24, the two shall become one flesh. I don't know any other way other than to say that just defines marriage. God says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And God, as he creates, speaks marriage into existence. As if that wasn't enough. Number five we're going to jump 2,000 pages in the book to Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 to 6. 
He answered, and this is Jesus when they questioned him about divorce. Have you not yet read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and they shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, next four words, God has joined together. Let that sink in. God is saying, I made man and woman. I saw the solitude. I made the parts. I brought them together. I knitted them together. And when you say, I do this one flesh union, when this happens and you physically consummate that relationship, the actors on that stage are not the husband and wife. That the actors on that stage is God. to recap, marriage is God's domain. He designed the parts. He decreed that the solitude was bad. He acted and designed a helper, taught Adam what the helper was and how to use that. And then Jesus affirms that this is God's doing. If that's true, church, brothers, sisters, if that's true, then what he has to say about marriage has a lot of weight. And what Lifeway Christian Bookstore has to say about marriage doesn't hold a drop. I want us now that we have reason to know that God is fully in control and fully has all of this. This is His thing to petition Him to teach us what are the purposes for this thing that you've given us. And I'll be honest with you, when they asked me to, to preach about marriage, I thought, ugh. I'm probably a good example of what not to do. Honestly, to say that my marriage has been beautiful and perfect and smooth would be a lie. To just be really transparent with you, I've, I've sat in churches for years and listened to sermon after sermon after sermon about marriage and how to extend grace to my wife and, and how to lead her and wash her in the word and have felt like a, a terrible husband and a, and a terrible father simply because I did not understand the purpose for marriage. If you're here today and your marriage is less than what is shown on on. TV advertisements, or it's, or it's less than the couples that seem to just be holding hands all the time in your missional community group. If your marriage is something where you chew on each other all the way here and then throw a fake smile on, as soon as you walk into Heritage Baptist Church, let me let you know, most everybody else is doing the same thing. You are not alone in that. And if we understand the purpose for marriage, then there's, there's category for that. But if we don't understand the purpose for marriage, then we'll take that and we'll hold it. And it'll become sin. It'll become something that we hide. And we'll begin not to show it because it's, it's, it's a, a declaration of, of how less of a Christian we are when we should be confessing that one to another. So I want, I want us to see that there's room for that. And then I want us to just rest in the grace of knowing that that's just marriage the way God designed it. So let's look at dominion. That's an old-fashioned word. Sorry, my deaf people. That's an awful word for you guys. Um, 
dominion. It's signed the same as sovereignty. It's as if you take your finger in this rain and this rain, and it's not the people that down here that have control, but God is pulling the reins and has full control. Dominion means sovereignty, control, supremacy, authority, and rule. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. You see, God's design and purpose in marriage is not to make you happy. It's not to satisfy your needs, but rather one of the primary purposes, and we'll discuss two today, is to conform you into the image of his Son. And and God works here. He's not just the designer, but the effector of purpose in this. God's primary purpose for your marriage is longer than your happiness. Your marriage wasn't designed for happiness. And as I was preaching through this kind of out loud in my office, I almost wondered if my wife was thinking, you got that right. (laughs) The primary purpose for marriage is for God to conform us into the image of his son. He ordained that. Listen, believer, he ordained your marriage for the purpose of you becoming like Christ. That he designed your mate, the one you're with right now, your husband or wife. That person was specifically designed, Jeremiah language, knitted together in their mother's womb for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to conform you into Christ's image. Wow, preacher boy, you took the love like totally out of Valentine's Day. (laughs) It's not a, a mushy love heart message today, but I would submit to you that marriage is a love story. But it's not the way you think. It's not the love story that's been sold to us by Hollywood TV, books, and magazines. It's not the love story that's sold to us through pornography. It sadly isn't the love story that many of us have on our Christian bookstore shelves. It's a story of how, not how man loves a woman. It's a story of how God loves his children too much to let them find happiness in each other, but rather brings them to the well of living water where they can drink and never thirst again. Let that sink in. I beg of you, brothers, to abandon self-centered expectations. Hold on and let go of your spouse's felt needs and realize God has gifted you, your wife, your husband, to change you. That happiness is simply just a a byproduct. And it happens sometimes. And it's okay that it doesn't happen other times. So what's what's the image of Christ that we're supposed to be conformed into? 
Quickly, I thought of a few. When we think of Christ and the image of Christ, I can't help but think of grace. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the only of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, that Jesus is full of grace. But oh, how beautiful our lives and happy they'd be if our wives never failed us. How smooth would my life be if I never had to extend grace? I'd be a happy guy. I wouldn't look anything like Christ. I think of Christ, I think of humility and sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Obedient to the point of death on a cross. Oh, if my wife would always just take the back seat. If I could be front and center all the time. If I could get all the accolades and the applause and my wife just stand by pretty. How would that conform me to the image of Christ? How would that teach me how to be a servant like Christ? Compassion, Matthew 9, 36, and Matthew 23, 37, when, when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and, and, and wants and has this compassionate heart for them and how smooth our lives would be if people like Gary didn't pass away, if we didn't have to go through suffering, if we didn't have to experience pain. Yet the purpose of, of marriage would be lost in that. We would be happy and smiling and life would be easy and we would look nothing like Christ. Lamentations 22, 23. Oh, the satisfaction of watching people get what they deserve. When the guy cuts you off, how satisfying would it be to just see him into a ditch? Yes. When my wife's had a terrible day, how satisfying would it be to just chew her out because I've had an awful day too? How beautiful and easy would it be if my life was just categorized by you get what you deserve and I never have to show mercy? Just let me let you know that, that, that God is providing opportunities in your lives for you to show mercy, and that is done to conform you into his image. And the last one, unconditional love. When I examine myself and I think of the things that God has to love me in spite of. And then I look to my spouse and I, I expect them to do this and this and this and this and, and my love can be withheld if these, sad, these, these requirements aren't met. Our marriages are designed by God, intended by God to conform us into the image of Christ and that is grace, humility, sacrifice, compassion, mercy, and unconditional love. And as if that's not enough, lastly, God has designed our marriages, Ephesians 5, to be a display. 
When we look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it's interpreted in Ephesians 5, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a mystery, and it's profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. What that means is that when the world looks at you, they should say, What grace! What mercy! What unconditional love! Wow! That looks just like Christ in the church. There is an, an, an evangelism component to your marriage. There is a gospel component to your marriage. Your marriage is designed for his glory to display his love for the church, not just our conforming. When the world looks at you, do they see the display of Christ in his dying love for the church? A lost and dying world is looking in from the outside. They're looking at your marriage. And your marriage should be a testimony, a a flag in the sand that says, that's how God loves us. Watch me lay down my life for my wife. Watch me extend grace when she deserves it not. Watch me give mercy. Watch me lavish upon her. Things that aren't deserved. And I pray that I live like that one day. In conclusion, and then I've got one application and then we're done. And I'm going to read this specifically because it's long and it's hot and I'm sweaty and I'll probably forget something. Marriage belongs to God alone. It was created by God, designed by God. He designed the parts. He decreed that solitude was bad. He acted to design a helper and taught Adam the role of this new helper. And all of this was affirmed by Christ. Marriage belongs to God and him alone. God is sovereign and he designed marriage. He decreed purposes for this one flesh union. And those aren't necessarily happiness and comfort for those that are involved. Or to conform us to the image of Christ and display the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I want to give you the glasses. And the glasses, I want to be a definition of marriage for us. For us, I want us to define marriage as an act of God joining one man and one woman, his design, into a one flesh covenant relationship with God in an effort to conform them both into the image of Christ and display Christ's love for the church to the world. That's our glasses. That's what I want us to take from this. I wish it was better. I wish it was make sure you have a date night. I hope we know that. I wish it was make the bed when you get out of it. I hope you know that. It took me 15 years to learn that one. <laughs> Guys, I wish it was stand closer to the bathroom. It took me a long time to learn that one. But it's not. But if we leave here with an understanding that God has designed this thing that I'm going through and I'm not happy right now, but I know that you're working to conform me to your image and I praise you and I thank you for sending me her because she's exactly what I needed and you knew that I needed that to make me like you and I thank you and I praise you and I glorify you for that. That's what I pray we leave with today. Pray with me, please. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the the gift that you've given us in marriage. Thank you that you didn't just create us and leave us. Thank you that our lives aren't just smooth sailing, but that you, you put suffering into our lives, that you put situations into our lives that cause us to call upon you. They, they cause us to cry out to you. They, they cause us to give opportunities for us to extend grace and to show mercy. They cause us to, to be dependent upon you and conformed into your image. Father, I pray that today that when Heritage Baptist Church couples leave, when engaged couples leave, when young people who are considering marriage leave, that they define their marriage as something that you have designed, that they will glorify you with their marriage and understand that when the tough times come, when, when problems happen, when situations pop up that don't make them happy, that they thank you anyway because they know that you are still working in the suffering and still working in the grace to conform us to your image. Father, I pray that we would be a church full of people whose marriages display Christ in the gospel. Be with us and keep us safe as as we leave through the snow today. Thank you so much for the day that you've given. Thank you for Heritage Baptist Church and thank you for your son. And we pray all this in Christ's name.